Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our guys at MyBookie. College football season might be coming to a close, and that is very depressing to say, but there's still some games left, guys. We've got rivalry week, we got championship week, we got the entire bowl season. You still got plenty of NFL football, college basketball has just started, so there's still plenty of stuff for you guys to bet on and win some money with. And right now, that promo code that we've been offering all year long is still going strong. Simply go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and all new users will get your first deposit doubled. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. You guys know I am your host, Tyler, and I've got my guy Curtis here with me to recap Georgia's 16-6 win over Kentucky in very chilly Lexington, Kentucky. Our 13th consecutive victory over the Cats. And Curtis, I don't know about you, man, but I feel like the vibes are mixed in the aftermath of this one. On one hand, not only has this win over Kentucky kept us in great position to make yet another college ball playoff, but it's also locked up our second consecutive undefeated SEC regular season. And guys, that does not happen very often. In fact, it has only happened twice in the entire history of the Southeastern Conference, with the most recent being Alabama in 2008 and 2009. I know that going undefeated in the regular season, going undefeated in SEC play, that's not the ultimate goal. Trust me, I get that. I'm like you guys, I want more. It is a means to an end, yes, but it's still a remarkable accomplishment nonetheless, and it's something I want to give our guys a shout out for today. And then on top of all that, the win over Kentucky was also our 26th straight regular season win and our 19th straight regular season SEC win. So that's cool. That's very cool. You've got to feel great about that. But then on the other hand, we were held to a trifecta of season lows with only 363 total yards of offense, 5.6 yards per play of offense, and only 16 points. And really, Kerr, I mean, just generally struggled to pull away from a team, a Kentucky team, that just lost to Vanderbilt in that very same stadium the week before. So, Curtis, with all of that, where is your head with this team after the win over Kentucky? I think mixed is the best way to describe it. I mean, especially when you see how the rest of the weekend went for a lot of those top teams, you're happy that like we took care of business and won. But I think at the same time, a little disappointed in both the coaching and the execution that we saw on Saturday. So like, I'm glad we won. I'm um, glad, you know, we locked up the East, all those things. But I still think that it wasn't our best performance on the field. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I will say, you know, once I got back to the to the bar after the game and, you know, I, I'd watched the Michigan-Illinois uh, game before heading out down to Kroger Field. Obviously, I watched TCU as well. But it makes you feel a little bit better when you come back and you see Ohio State struggle to beat Maryland on the road. And then you see what happens with Tennessee, obviously, in South Carolina. So it makes you feel a little bit better that we were not alone. It doesn't really completely mitigate some of the feelings you experienced watching that game. But it's nice to know that we weren't the only top four, top five team that struggled on Saturday night. But, you know, I'll go back to what I was saying last week. I'll go back to what I was saying in July. I did, back in July, have this pegged as the most difficult game on our schedule. And this is what I was talking about. I kind of backed off of it last week 
because I was trying really hard to not fall into that old Georgia mindset. I know I'm very, very guilty of that most of the time. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, what I said back in July, saying that this was going to be the most difficult game that we played all season, it wasn't that far off. I guess you could say Missouri was a tougher game on the road, but this was right up with, with Missouri. I mean, we, we weren't behind like we were against Missouri. We had to mount that comeback. But this was a tough, hard-fought fiscal game, and this, again, was exactly what I was talking about back in July. I have been to a lot of Georgia-Kentucky games, and I've been to a lot of games in Lexington. And this is, Curtis, if you really look at recent history with these Georgia-Kentucky matchups, this is kind of what these games have been like. I went back and I, I tallied up the, the margins over the past four years. And those last four years against Kentucky, Curtis, we've won each of those games. We've won 13 straight against Kentucky. But in the last four years, we've won by an average of 20.2 points to 5.5 points. And what was the score in this game? 16 to 6. Really not that far off if you look at it statistically. If you go back over the past couple of years, in, in this matchup between these two teams. Because what you see with these with these two teams, Curtis, is that Kentucky and Georgia are built extraordinarily similarly. The, the reality is we just have better players. Like, we, we have the, the same approach to football. We want to be physical. We want to run the football. We play really good defense and play action shots down the field. We have a very similar approach. We just have better players, which is why we win and have controlled this series. And and they can't get a win, but they, they don't make it easy on us because we are two very similar teams with two very similar head coaches in terms of their minds and how they approach football games. And then, of course, you know, you, you can't discount the weather, Curtis. I mean, it was it was cold, dude. It was very cold and very windy out there in Lexington. So I think that also affected how we approach this game, how Kentucky also approached this game. You know, both teams obviously wanted to run the football. And because of that, we only had three first-half possessions. We scored on all of those, Curtis. We just weren't efficient in the red zone, so that kind of skews things. I mean, we moved the ball between the 20s. I mean, almost at will in the first half. We just kind of got bogged down once we got in the red zone, which is a problem. We need to be better. I mean, we have been most of the years. I've had Missouri game, been better at that. But you can't have those kind of performances. When you get in the red zone, you've got to score touchdowns. And look, I know, Curtis, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen them in the last 24 hours. I know there are haters out there that want to point and say, hey, man, dude, George is a fraud because, I mean, they barely beat a Kentucky team that just lost to Vanderbilt. Well, two things there, Curtis. Is Vanderbilt – a terrible football team right now? Not, not really. Not right now. I mean, were they at some point this year? Yeah, they were. But right now they're playing really good football. Vanderbilt's playing better football than they've played in probably three or four years right now. And and we also knew, Curtis, that we weren't dumb. Like We knew that we were going to get a very different Kentucky team than what Vandy saw last week. You know, I don't want to take anything away from Vandy. They went and they beat Kentucky in Lexington. Tip of the cap to Vanderbilt. But, I mean, Curtis, there has to be some sort of look-ahead factor there when you face the number one team in the country the next week, right? I mean, when, when you're Kentucky facing Vanderbilt, don't you feel like that had to factor into it to some degree? I mean, yeah, and Will Levis, um, you know, his, what he did out there compared to what he did against us. And, yet yeah, we have the better defense, so I don't think you can sit there and say that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I know that they just lost to Vanderbilt. And it's like, wow, man, Georgia, you struggled to beat a team that just lost to Vandy? Well, Vandy's playing good football right now, guys. And, of course, you know that we were not – like when you're the number one team in the country, the teams you are playing are not going to play you the same way they play Vanderbilt. There's going to be more I focus. I mean, you saw, Ohio State, you saw Ohio State struggle in bad weather against Northwestern. Yeah, absolutely, Curtis. I mean, Ohio State, what? I mean, so that was, what, the Tennessee game, right? So it was like three weeks ago? Uh, it was, yes. So two of Ohio State's – and, look, I know this is a Georgia podcast. So like, I don't want to try to make excuses for us based on what other teams are doing. But we're just trying to put it's this all in perspective. Relative. Yeah, it's all relative. Ohio State, two of the last three games, has struggled to win football games against teams that they are far better than, you know, far more talented than. So I only say that to point like, hey, let's let's not freak out, right? You're right. It's all relative. Like none of this happens in a vacuum. This is college football, guys. It's really, really difficult to get up and motivated week in and week out, especially when you're on the road playing a really, really well-coached physical football team at the back end of your schedule, at the back end of what was clearly the toughest four-game stretch of our season. We all knew that coming in, and that is why I had Kentucky ranked in the preseason as the most difficult game. It wasn't I thought Kentucky was the best team. I told you guys I thought Tennessee was going to be better than Kentucky. I had Tennessee pegged to, to beat Kentucky in the preseason, but it was all circumstantial. It was where this game fell. At the end of the schedule, I know what kind of team they have. I know how they match up with us. I know how they've played us in years past, and I have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops, and I know those games can be tough in Lexington. But at the end of the year, the weather is going to be a factor, and all those those things turn out to be true. So, no, I, I'm really – I'm not freaking out about this, Curtis. And I'll also say this. I mean, I know, like, 
you know, hindsight's 50-50 or whatever. Like, but there were two plays, Curtis, in this game. That if we hit on both those plays, it's a 30 to nothing game. All right. I'm going to go back to the very first drive of the game. Well, our first drive of the game. We had Darnell Washington on the wheel route, wide open, probably a touchdown. Is that fair to say, Kurt? Probably. Probably pretty close. Yeah, I mean, if not a touchdown, it sets up a touchdown, right? Like that that should be a massive play to go ahead and set the tone in that game. And Stetson missed it. Now, whether wins a factor, yes, but Stetson's got to – I mean, you got to hit your Sasquatch-esque tight end down the field. I mean, I don't know how many times he can overthrow Darnell Washington. It's, it's almost a physical impossibility, but some way, somehow, he does that. It's crazy. But if you hit that play, probably a touchdown, really good chance it's a touchdown. And then we get stoned on the fourth and one the goal line to open the fourth quarter. Curse, if we score on both those plays, two plays – Two plays right there, and we're it's an entirely different story. We're having a different conversation right now. No one on social media is freaking out. No one's out there saying George is a fraud. You don't hear any of that because it's 30 to nothing. You take the life out of Kentucky, and they don't even try to mount a comeback. And it's two plays. Football is a game of inches. We didn't hit those plays, and that's how football goes. But it's not like we were that far off there. I mean, we're talking about two plays. So and I think those are two plays that we make more times than we miss, and we just happen to miss them in this game, in this circumstance. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, kind of wrap this up before we move on. At the end of the day, I don't know about you, Curtis. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't feel like we were ever in danger of losing this game. Did you? Did you feel that way? No, I didn't feel like we were in danger. Like To me, I, I know there were some people that I was talking to after the game, you know, even some Georgia fans that are also in Lexington, and they were trying to – equate this game to Missouri. And I get that, right? You know, it's it's a road game against teams, two teams that we are clearly more talented than and we should put away easily and we have to grind to get these wins. I never felt the same way in this game as I did, you know, back in October against Missouri. Did you? No, not at all. I mean, Missouri occurs. We were fighting for our lives, man. Like Missouri, I was sitting we there, I, I remember behind. vividly, I was sitting there in early October, the first weekend of October, already trying to figure out in my mind in the middle of that game, how we could lose that game and still find a way to get in the college football playoff. Like what had to happen? Who had to lose? What do we have to do to get it back into the college football playoff picture? Because I'd almost given up at points in that game. I was like, there's just no way. There's just no way we're going to win. And I never once even remotely felt that way in this game. Did it get tighter than I wanted it to, tighter than it should be? Yeah, but I never felt like we were actually in danger of losing this game. To me, it was more like, okay, um, how close are you going to make it? And what's the conversation going to be? What's the narrative going to be after this game? You know, based off the kind of comeback that Kentucky able to mount here. But I never felt they were actually going to win the game. But that was against a tough, physical, well-coached football team who was up. Because this is what we get, Curtis. We get this Bama treatment now. They were up to play the number one team in the country who was playing all on the road in their house. And we didn't bring our A game. And you know what, Curtis? We didn't bring our A game in, in that environment. And we still won the game by two scores. So that tells me something right there. So for all those reasons, man. You can freak out if you want to, guys. That That's your right. And that's all good, man. I understand how passionate we are about this and how much you care, how much it means to you. I get that. I'm not going to tell you how to feel. You feel the way you want to. But me personally, just telling you how I feel, I mean, would I have liked to have put Kentucky away? Sure, that'd be ideal. But you can, you don't do that every single week. No, like Very, very few teams in the history of college football do that every single week. I mean, the best team that I've seen in the past, however, like really my lifetime in college football, I would say the 2019 LSU team, they struggled at home against Auburn. And Auburn never wins in Baton Rouge. Guys, last year they did. But, you know, they never win there. And they had to struggle and fight to win that game. It happens. It doesn't matter how good your team is. You've got games like this. And it's just a, all, recently, for last four or five years, has been a tough matchup for us because of the way this team is built and the way that they are coached. All right, Curtis, we've got a lot more to talk about. But before we move on, my friend, I just want to quickly remind everyone about our friends at MyBookie. And guys, i got some great news for you. So all season long, MyBookie has been awesome. They've been great to us, and they've supported this podcast. They've also supported you guys out there by offering you an awesome exclusive promotional deal where you get a 100% bonus on your first deposit if you're a new user. But they are changing things up to make their offer even sweeter for you guys as we hit the home stretch of the college ball season. Right now, MyBookie is offering a no-strings bonus that lets you cash in and cash out quick. If you use the promo code UGA on a deposit of 50 or more dollars, you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. And guys, it is crazy simple. Even a guy like myself, an idiot like me, can figure this out. Once your deposit amount is bet one time, so let's say you deposit 50 bucks, and once you bet 50 bucks, you're ready to cash out. You have that in your account to put into your actual wallet. It's a no-strings-attached promo with MyBookie. 
to be perfectly honest with you guys, I've been betting on sports for a while now, and I have never seen a deal like this. So make sure to jump on it while you can. Again, that's promo code UGA when you deposit at my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, let's go ahead, man, and let's dive more into this offensive performance. We've kind of danced around a little bit the first part of the show, but let's go in more detail here. Again, it was um, statistically the worst performance of the year for the Georgia offense. 363 total yards was the lowest total yards after the season. 5.6 yards per play was the fewest yards per play, and 16 points is the lowest point total of the season. In fact, the only other game in which we put up under 400 yards was two weeks ago, against Tennessee. But, I mean, that game, Curtis, you know, that, that was all circumstantial. We had a big lead. The rain came. We kind of set on the ball after that. I mean, we would have put up 500-plus yards and maybe 50 points on – or at least 40-plus on Tennessee if we wanted to if the rain didn't come. But that kind of changed how we played that game. And then if you take an even deeper look, Curtis, this was this is interesting to, me, inter- interesting to me. I want to get your take on this. The last three games, Curtis, have been our three lowest total yards outputs of the season – and the 116 yards passing was by far our lowest passing yards output of the season. It was actually the only game in which we had thrown for under 200 yards all season long. But then on the bright side, it was our second highest rushing yards output of the season against Power 5 teams. So there's that. That's something to build off of. But Curtis, what happened on Saturday? How do you explain those offensive numbers? Um, well, I think you can begin with saying, well, this wasn't Stetson's best game. Um Especially yeah, passing I think, game. Yeah. I know they were playing the two deep safety and taking you know take away shots, especially with play action. But the fact was, he just was not sharp. Um, you, you talk about Darnell. It doesn't matter if it's the wind or not. I mean, I know the wind factors in, but the fact is, you warmed up for an hour before the game. You at least had a feel for it. Like you're not gonna, you shouldn't overshoot him that much, especially when he's that big. Um, and then you go back to that pick he threw um, on that ball to Lad. It was just a terrible decision at the time when he pulled the trigger. That was a 2021 um, so like, decision by Stetson Bennett that we haven't seen was, that, this year. that. No, that was one of the worst. Deci- you know, like last week we blamed it kind of on the O line on that one play, but this wasn't. This was him. Um, I was sitting there, like I was in the end zone, right where he threw that ball, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I was, I don't. I was trying to like not make excuses for him. But I was trying to understand. Okay, what what is he doing? What is he doing? I don't know, man. Like, well, especially had- when, especially when you go back and see, he had the guy, um, the running back out of the backfield that could have had probably more yards than what he was even shooting for. And Stetson has been so good at taking those checkdowns all year. It was almost inexplicable because the safety was there. It looked like we wanted to run the post there, but the safety sitting in the middle of the field. And Ladd saw that and said, okay, well, that takes with the post, so I'm not going to run that route. It's a side adjustment on the fly there. And Stetson, I don't know. If, I, I think the only explanation, there's two explanations. Either A, he didn't see the safety, which is really, really hard for me to believe there. And B, he just decided he was going to chuck it no matter what, which is kind of what Will Levis does, and just see what happens. Because he, I mean, he wasn't having a lot of success in the passing game, and I'm, I'm sure you know that's frustrating for a quarterback, and he wanted to get something going. Like maybe, I mean, that that has to be what it is. He had to see the safety, right, Kurt? I mean, you would think it's it's almost an impossibility to me that he did not see that safety sitting there. And if he didn't, then like, where's your focus, man? Like, what are you doing out there? You have to see that. Well, it's just like that throw to Dominic Blaylock that he, you know, he completed and ended up being a big game. 
that was a very boring. That could have been a pick six going the other way. Very, um, very close to being that. Yeah, it um, could have been on that one. I I want to give him the bit. Maybe he shouldn't throw him that ball. I'm not saying he necessarily should have because you're right. It was very very close. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one and say that he recognized that he had a defensive end out there that was dropping into space and he's not comfortable out there. So he did, he made the judgment call that he was not going to be able to make a play on the ball because he's just kind of yeah. playing out of character. That's not his position. You know what I mean? That's kind yeah. of the re- I had on that. And maybe that's me just giving Stetson the benefit of the doubt there. I mean, but it worked. It was, out, it was a tight throw to be at the very least. Tight, a, very tight it was throw. Tight, it was a tight throw when he hadn't been playing at his best. Um, but And I think that what killed me in the run game, you know, between the 20s, we were having a lot of success, but I felt like in the red zone, yes, our offensive line struggled, but I thought that what frustrated me the most is there was no variety. Uh, you know, we did not try to attack them on the edge, especially in the second half when we started running, having so much success on the counters and things up the middle. They started trying to load it up, and we responded by continuing to continue to do that instead of, you know, trying to get them off balance. Um, and especially into the red zone, you know, think back to the time we were stuck at the one. We ran it, what, three times in a row? I just thought that there was not – the play. this was probably, in my opinion, one of Todd Munkin's worst games calling the plays. But I don't know if you listen to Kirby's post-game press conference. And he he said it flat out. He's like, we had a reduced number of plays that we brought in this game. Because, guys, the way game planning works is you don't you don't bring your entire playbook into a game plan. Like, you have specific plays that you add into a game plan based on the opponent you're playing. And those are the plays that you rep all week. Very rarely do you run a play in a game. I'm not saying never. It happens sometimes. You know, circumstances sometimes call for it. But – you rep a certain. You can't rep your entire playbook in practice. All you only have twenty hours, right? So you can't rep every single play in the playbook. It just you can't do it. It's an impossibility. So you zero in on a couple of plays, or, or not a couple of plays, but a series of plays that you're putting in for that game plan that week to face that opponent. And Kirby flat out said, "He's like, we had a reduced playbook this week. Like we was our goal. We knew what the weather was going to be like, and we do studies on this thing. When the when the wind gets up to 15, 20 miles an hour because it was gusting at twenty five, then." your ability to pass the football is dramatically hampered. And so we came in there with a reduced number of plays, and our goal was to just grind and execute those plays at a high degree, at a high level. And I think that's what you saw, Curtis. But you're right. I think once Kentucky kind of figured out late in the game, they were starting to be be able to take take those plays away a little bit more. Is Is that kind of what you saw? Yeah, and that's my thing. Like, I get we, you know, didn't bring our whole playbook, but where the toss sweep, you can't tell me that we have to run that every week in practice to know how to run it or to attack them on the edge. And that's what I was most frustrated about, especially inside the 20 where we seemed to stall out as we went, still tried to run it, but we weren't using the field to our advantage. And that's where I was most frustrated. Um, Yes, the execution wasn't there. We didn't block very well at times, especially inside the 20 in the red zone. But I still stand by the fact that I was not a fan of the – I felt like we were actually – Felt back in like the Mike Bobo days where he knew what was coming. We became very predictable. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very fair assessment there. I think looking at this offensive performance, so guys, I'm not trying to make excuses for this offense. I'm really not. I'm just trying to tell you this is objectively what I saw. This is what I was thinking during the game. And again, this is why I'm not freaking out. I wasn't freaking out last night after the game. I'm not freaking out today. We are perfectly fine. And the reason I feel that way is we played this game offensively the way that we had to play it. And I say that for two reasons. We've kind of alluded to this already. But whenever there are wind games like this, it's exactly what Kirby said in his post-game press conference. I'm actually glad to hear him say that because whenever we have games where we have winds at fairly high velocities, you see us play it this way, Curtis. Like, this is not new. Like, we've seen games like this. And and it's it's, it's always every time we play Kentucky, especially in that stadium, when you think of (laughs) – um, if you paid attention, they were talking about how the two different wind – directions you get when you're in that stadium it was swirling man yeah it was swirling i mean guys i was there i'm telling you it was it was very windy it was cold it was windy and you know what i mean i get like that we played this game because we felt like the weather dictated us to play this game a certain way and so that was that was the first factor in in why we played this game this way and the second factor and you kind of alluded to it curtis i'm gonna go a little bit more detail here with it kentucky defended us very differently than other teams do what other teams do almost unfailingly against us is they start the game loading the box. Guys, just watch. They bring safeties in the box. They're playing one high safety looks, okay? They're playing man free. They're playing cover three. They are not operating with two high safeties on standard downs to open games. Well, guys, Mark Stoops is a damn good football coach. Again, one of the big reasons why I had this pegged as the most difficult game on the schedule coming into the season, not because they're like the most talented team, 
But a big part of it is Mark Stoops is freaking awesome, all right? And he doesn't always have the most talented team out there, but he is a damn good football coach, especially defensive football coach. And, again, these two teams are built very similarly. And Stoops knows exactly what we want to do offensively. He plays us every single year. He knows that we want to do what they want to do. We want to run the football, get the defense rolling guys in the box, get eyes in the backfield, and then kill you down the field with explosive pass plays. That's what we do, and we've been embracing that more and more and more over the past month, month and a half. Well, Mark Stoops was dead set on not allowing that to happen this time because they play a too-high shell. I was, I was stunned, Curtis. We never see that. We never see that. But they came out in that, and they stayed in that, a two-high shell almost the entire game. Now, there were, there were select plays here and there where they'd roll a guy down the box. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying every single play, but the vast majority of plays, and yes, even on standard downs, first and second down, they were playing a two-high shell, and they stayed true to that even when we were running on them. And going back to the red zone, it, difficulties course i think that is why we had less efficiency running the football in the red zone than we did between the 20s because when you're in the red zone they're not playing those two high safety shells right because the the field's condensed it's reduced so they're getting more guys in the box around line of scrimmage and they had more free runners and it makes it more difficult for us to run the football when we were between the 20s they weren't loading the box like that. There weren't that many bodies around there. And so we said, all right, cool. We're just going to take that. That's what you're going to give us. You're going to dare us to do it. We're going to do it. And we did. We did to great effect down the 20s, down the field. But you got in the red zone. Now things are a little tighter. You got more free runners. And all of a sudden now it's harder to run the football. So, I mean, that's what they were trying to do. From a, a game plan standpoint, they were daring us to do it, like to run the ball consistently enough on them. And they were gambling. What they were trying to do, Curtis, is they were trying to shorten this game. Because when you shorten a game like this against Georgia, you make every possession count, right? And so they're hoping, all right, we can shorten the game, limit their possessions, because we're probably going to be able to score with them. And then if we can bow their, if we can, if we can bow our necks in the red zone and maybe force a turnover or two, which they did, and then keep it close and give ourselves a chance to win late, maybe we can win this game. Maybe we can pull the upset. Maybe that's that's probably our only path to victory. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. They didn't they didn't pull it off, but they. They played their game plan the way they wanted to. Like us running the ball, like we had a great deal of success running the football, and that was very encouraging. But they kind of, in a way, gave that to us. And I'm glad that we took what they gave us. But if you're wondering why we didn't throw the ball more when we've thrown the ball like 30-plus times almost every game this year, well, the weather, number one. And number two, it was the way they defended us. And, guys, I'll also say this. I know Kentucky's not good. They, I mean, they're probably going to lose to Louisville next week, all right? They're probably going to end up 6-6. Six and six. But that's an offensive thing for them. This is the second best defense in the league. If you look at their numbers, they are almost neck and neck with Alabama as like statistically the second best defense in the league. I think that they're the second best defense in the league because I think they're better coached than Alabama. Like give me Mark Schuster or Pete Golding all day long. So yeah, there's some there's some circumstances in, in why this game is maybe closer than it was and we didn't score as many points. But let's also give Kentucky's defense some credit and their coaching staff. This is the second best defense in the league. And it's a defense who's built to slow down our style of offense, just like we are built to slow down their style of offense, which is why this game over the past four years has been a slugfest because they're just two very, very similar teams. And then they're at home, which, of course, you know, makes it even more of a, of a difficulty for us heading in there. And then you have a recipe for our worst offensive performance. So I'm really not trying to make excuses. I know some of you probably feel like I'm doing that. I'm looking at things with my red and black tinted glasses. I get that. But – I mean, that's what I saw, Curtis. I mean, what else did you see from this Georgia offense? Did you see anything else that really concerned you moving forward? Concern-wise, no. Um, especially, I mean, the offensive line, yes. Um, I think that, you know, we talked about Tate Ratledge not being great or still struggling, but I, I, we see that he is our best um, when he's in there, or we're at our best when he's in there. And, I think um, Tate's been a lot better over the past three – honestly, Curtis, since the bye week, I think Tate, Tate's been awesome for us. I think he's been really good for us. I agree. He seems to finally be healthy um, or healthy. You think that was a loss not having him in there? I do. And then I still think that um, at tackle, we're not playing at our best. Well, I mean, we we need to see more of Marius Smims. I'm sorry. I'm not saying he's perfect, but dude, here's the thing, Curtis. We have two, we we have two probable first round draft picks at, at tackle on the team right now. And only one of them is playing or only one of them starting and playing starter reps. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love Warren McClendon. I know he's experienced. He's done a lot of good things for us. And Warren's a really good player, all right? I'm not sitting here saying Warren's not a good player. And he deserves to play some. But, I mean, I don't know, Curtis. Like, at some point, you're, like, you're looking at this roster, and you're like, man, huh, where, are some, where, where can we get better, right? And I think yeah. that right that that left tackle position or that right tackle position, Curtis, is one of them. Like, is it really in our best interest to continue to 
have Warren McClendon play the number of reps that he's playing at right tackle? It doesn't feel like it is, especially like the times where we're trying screens or pitches. He is not getting out. Um, the athleticism is just not there. He doesn't move as well. That, and I think he's – you're even seeing it in the run game. He is struggling because he's getting beat off the line on slants on yeah. anything. And, and, you know, I, and we've done better getting the second level over the past, you know, five, six weeks. But he if there's anyone that still struggles getting the second level, I think it's Warren. Warren does – he just doesn't move as well. He's not as natural in space like that as a guy like Marius Mims is. And like, look, I know experience matters in the, in the SEC. It does. I'm not saying it doesn't. They're going to go back to it. I think we have two first-round draft picks a tackle on our team right now. And one of them's – I'm not saying he's riding the bench as he plays some, but he doesn't play enough, in my opinion. That's just me. And, I can, and again, I'm not trying to kill Warren McClendon. He does a lot of good things for us. He's a very good player. I just don't know if he's better than Marius Mims. Just saying. That's just me. I mean, that's not going to change at this point in the year. They're not going to change it. I don't have any faith that they're going to do that. But that's just me, you know, armchair quarterback here sitting there looking at that. But, um, all right, are you ready to move the defense? Yeah. And we will do exactly that. But real quick, guys, before we move to the defense, let me remind you about our good friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it is feast week. It is Thanksgiving week, which means Black Friday is now less than a week away. And I can tell you right now, guys, Alumni Hall is going to load it up with incredible Black Friday deals. And also, on top of that, of course, the best selection of Georgia gear that you will find anywhere. They've got a bunch of new fall and winter cold weather gear in stock. They've got new Nike stuff. They've got a bunch of new Johnny O stuff. Another shipment came in within the past week. So they are loaded up with incredible stuff just in time for the holiday shopping season. So whether you are looking to buy some things for friends and family for the holidays, or whether you just want to pick up something for yourself and treat yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. Alumni Hall is hands down, no question, the place to go because it is where the Bulldog shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so offensively, Saturday was not a banner day to say the least, as we have gone over. We've got some things to clean up on that side of the ball. But defensively, Curtis, we got the job done, man. We held Kentucky to a season-low six points. We held them to only 295 yards of total offense, which was their lowest home yardage output of the season. And held Chris Rodriguez, who I will I have maintained for a couple of years now, is one of the best backs in the SEC. I know he plays for Kentucky, so he doesn't get that much love nationally, but this is a he's a hellacious runner, man. And we held him to his lowest yardage and yards per rush output of the season with only 51 yards on 17 carries, which comes out to a nice even three yards per rush-ish. Um, so, th- so those are great numbers, Curtis. You look at those numbers, like, yeah, Georgia's defense played lights out. You hold a team at six points. You, I mean, you absolutely did your job, and you're going to have a lot of football games when you hold your opponent to six points. So I'm not going to try to kill the defense here. Please don't take it this way, guys. I know how this is going to sound. I know – it's going to sound ridiculous, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a spoiled child. And maybe I am reaching here. Maybe I am. But, Curtis, I, I know the stats tell you one thing, but you and I watched this game. Was this really as impressive a defensive performance as those numbers would seem to suggest? Um, It didn't feel like it because they moved the ball well at times. At times. I mean, obviously, under 300 yards, they didn't consistently move the ball well. But you also have to remember, this game was shortened, guys, by the way these two teams operated. There were not as many possessions. Yeah, and that's the thing. Possession-wise, I thought that, you know, you think back to the first half, I think they had four times, and they moved the ball t- well twice out of that four, two out of those four yeah. times. I mean, we stoned on that first drive. We stoned them on fourth, on fourth down. Hey, great job us. But, like, 
They moved the ball well. I mean, they had that big play on that first drive, but they moved it well enough to get in that position where they were in scoring range, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Kudos to us. I mean, that's a big stop. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to kill the defense. They they played well. Like, the defense played well, but I just don't know, like, because, I, I mean, I rest, most of the headlines you read is, like, Georgia's defense dominates in route to 16-6 victory. And it's like, well, I mean, did we? Did we really dominate? I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing, Curtis. Like, I, for me, I would say it's hard to argue the production. And we did play very well overall. And I know people are going to disagree with what I'm about to say here because, again, the general perception of this game was, yeah, dominant defensive performance, barely good enough offensive performance. But I really think this was – I don't. it wasn't a bad defensive performance. But I think maybe it was a ho-hum defensive performance. Is that fair? I could see that, yeah. Because And the reason I say that, it's not to – I'm not trying to criticize you guys. I'm not trying to like – I'm not trying to throw out a hot take. I'm really not. I think you just have to understand who we were playing. Curtis, what is your take on that Kentucky offense? They've been struggling big time. And the, the one thing you kept hearing, too, is we gave up way too many big plays to that offense. Oh, my God. Way too many. Way too many. And that's my point. I told you guys last week, coming into this week, coming into this game, that you could certainly make the argument that this Kentucky offense was the worst offense in the entire league. In many of the of the biggest statistical categories, they are dead last in the league. The other team I would argue is Missouri. So I think it's really Missouri or Kentucky are the two worst offenses in this league. And that's what I'm talking about. Like we we absolutely should have dominated this team. But they hit, as you said, Chris, I think too many big plays in this game for my liking. I mean, we controlled their run game, which is great. Because like if you control Kentucky's run game which I felt like we were going to be able to come into the game. That's why I felt really good about us covering this game. Obviously, I was wrong there. But if you control their run game, Will Levis is not going to beat you with his arm. We saw that. But we did allow them, even though we stifled Rodriguez, who is the engine to their offense, we did allow them to hit too many big plays. And, Curtis, probably the one thing that drove me crazy in this game more than anything else was getting up a 99-yard touchdown drive. How did you feel about that? Uh, Very frustrating. I mean, this Kentucky offense, Chris, again, arguably the worst offense in the league. I know it's one drive, but to give up a 99-yard touchdown drive to this Kentucky offense, I know it's in Lexington. That cannot happen. Like that's, that, How can you call this? That's what I'm talking about. How can you call this a dominant defensive performance when we give a – I know it's one drive, but we give a 99-yard touchdown drive to the worst offense in in the league, give a number of explosive pass plays to a team that really struggles to generate explosive pass plays. We also generated only one sack, which, like, that shouldn't surprise anyone because we hear that question every week, Curtis. And you and I, like, we've talked many times, like, uh, it's kind of a means to an end. It's not that big of a deal. But you would have liked to have seen the ability to pressure the passer a little bit more in this game considering that Kentucky has given up by far the most sacks in the league. Like, the, the second most sacks in the league, they've given up 39 coming to this game. I think the second most was 25, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. So, yeah, I mean, I know we had one sack, and Michael Williams had another one early in the game that was caught that was negated because of a hands to the face. And, like, so maybe there were actually, like, two. But I don't know, man. I I, I don't feel – they didn't throw the ball as much. Well, actually, they ended up throwing the ball 31 times. It was all said and done. But I just – I felt like we – even though we don't rush the passer exceptionally well, we should have had more success – rushing the passer, affecting the quarterback than we did against the worst offensive line, at least statistically in almost every major category, the worst offensive line in the SEC. So I don't know, man. Like, What else did you see from this defense? That Was there anything that concerned you? Or am I making too much of this? Um, I thought that, especially Pop, I thought Pop had a pretty poor game. Um, you know, he's been playing the so games well. Rutgers, he has not played yeah. as well. I thought Smile was the better of the two inside linebackers. Um and I, you know, I thought, like I said, like you said, I kind of thought that was the case last week too. Um, and then also, I think that I've come to the conclusion that um, Kamari Lasseter is our best cover corner. Oh, I, Curtis, I said the exact same thing to my wife in the stands. I literally turned, and I know he gave that it, one play. Sure, he gave it up. I mean, like no corner is perfect. I mean, he's not perfect, but I mean, he is our best cover guy right now, right? I mean, am I crazy? Yeah. No, I I truly believe he's our best cover corner. And I'm not saying Keeley's bad, but Kamari's just—he's more natural out there, man. He's more Keely natural. Keeley's not playing. Keeley's not been playing 
making plays on the ball. I, yes, he made one against Tennessee, and he got a pick but um, in this game too. But, I, I mean, realistically, when you go back to it, there's been a lot of times this year. But he had both those – he had help, not both of them. That play, Curse, he had help over the top. So he was able to play underneath, right? He wasn't there yeah. on an island, which is a little bit different. You're playing that a little bit differently because you don't have to panic as much. But, I, I mean, you're right about Keeley, but is that – isolated to him i think our dbs in general curse i think we need to do a much better job of making like very rarely are we just beat off the ball honestly but even when we're in position whether it's keely and obviously we see that a lot i mean you saw from chris smith a couple times in this game i was about to say a, chris a smith this is probably one of the worst games he's played in the george uniform um realistically yeah i mean a couple of plays that yeah that you, you like to see him make both those plays and he didn't on some of those big pass plays uh there's one with kamari um he could have made a play on the ball as well the pass interference i i know like people are just sitting here saying well, how do you say kamari's better than keely when he had that pass interference like i mean guys he was in pretty good position there the ball was just woefully underthrown and so the receiver comes back through him and so it looks really bad but like, i mean that's just kind of how it goes sometimes right yeah on plays like that but i honestly curse one of my concerns about defense because we're going to play some teams down the road, Curtis, that can that can throw the ball up. And when we get to the playoffs, I mean, we, obviously, we, we we played Tennessee, and we played them lights out. But a big part of that was we stifled their run game. And when you guys heard me talk all week about that game. Like, if you can stop Tennessee's run game, they are not built to just throw the ball down the field on you. And we did a great job of that. But you, if potentially, if you face an Ohio State or a TCU, something like that down the road, I mean, we'll see how things play out. Those teams are going to challenge you in the air. And you've got to be able to make plays in the ball. Being in phase – is good. That's great. That's a, that's a prerequisite. It's not good enough though, Curtis. Like it, being in phase, being in position is no good if you don't actually make the plays. And we make them from time to time, but not consistently enough for me. And I, I know you can get away with it against Kentucky because they're terrible on offense, but that's just something to keep in your back pocket, guys. And people ask me all the time, like, hey, I had a question last week in the mail about like, what is Georgia's fatal flaw? And I didn't say that was the fatal flaw, but that's one of those things that you look at and you say, huh, man, like that's something that could hurt us against a team that can actually throw the football down the field. And those teams, we haven't, we haven't played in a ton of those teams, very few of them, in fact, but those teams are coming if you want to win a national championship. So just just keeping that in mind there. But uh, anything else for you on the defense, Curtis? No, I think that kind of sums it up. All right, real quick for me, just before we move on to game balls, I know, I just want to, I just want to put this out there because I know people are probably like shaking their head at me, rolling their eyes. I'm not saying this is a disaster defensively, guys. No, we, we held them under 300 yards. We held a really good running back to his lowest output of the season. It was a good performance by the defense. It was, certainly was not a disaster. I'm not freaking out, but I don't think it was as dominant as some people are making out to be on like the final score of, of all giving up six points would seem to suggest. I just saw some areas where I think that we have to be better. Again, we got to make more plays in the ball. We still have to find a way to get – even if we don't sack the quarterback, we got to be more consistent in pressuring the quarterback. And – Last thing for me, Curtis, defensively, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like I'm doing this every single episode, every, every every single recap episode now, every week. I'm becoming more and more concerned about the loss of Nolan Smith with each passing week. Like, taught me off oh, the God. ledge, Curtis. Am I, am I making too much of that? Um, You know, Robert Beal's okay in stopping the run, but Taz Chambliss is a – you know, Chaz uh, is a will. He's a fit. He wants to, he wants to close. Like with the pulling guards, when I say close, like we have a pulling guard. He, like, the, the, his responsibility as an outside linebacker is to close. It's basically like just blow them up. Basically he's physical. He wants to do that. He does a pretty good job of that curse. My concern with Chaz and I'm not, it's not really much his fault because he hasn't played a ton. I mean, it's hurt most this year until Nolan went down. His awareness is like 0%. Like, are you seeing that? Yeah, I am. And he like, doesn't hold the edge well at all. He just comes oh. crashing in. He's too willing. I mean, he's getting better. But, I mean, God, it's such a drop-off from Nolan. I mean, Chaz is – like, it's just the lack of awareness. When, like, when you have a running back that's literally running to your side, outside of you, and you're just like spinning in circles, you have no idea. You're not even trying to make the play on the guy because you have no idea he's there. It's Again, I know he hasn't played a ton, and that's a big part of it. But, dear God, it's just – I'm getting worried about that, man. And I, if I'm seeing it with my naked eye, you know offensive coordinators with, with more talent than Kentucky on offense to work with are seeing this, and I'm just scared to death that that is going to be a problem for us moving forward, Curtis. I really am, man. It's freaking me out a little bit. So I don't know. I, I don't want to go too far on off the deep end with that because I know I feel like I talk about it every week since the Florida game. But um, more and more each week I get concerned about that loss, about Nolan, man, because he was a dynamic run defender for us. Probably the best on the team, to be honest. All right, Kurt, last thing here. We're going to wrap things up with our game balls for the top performances of the week. I'm not going to lie, Curtis. 
The last couple of weeks, I had a hard time like narrowing my list down because I thought there were so many big time performances. You know, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Florida. This week, I had the opposite issue. I was like, okay, can I get to three game balls? Because that's usually what we do, right? So I don't know if you have that same issue, but I'm gonna let you go first. I know who you're gonna take, but I'm gonna let you take it. Yeah, I mean, you, go first. you gotta go. You gotta go, Kenny McIntosh. Um, yeah, got just to. as simple as that. I mean, what is this? Is and correct me if I'm wrong, Curse. I. I'm fairly like 99.999% certain this is his first 100 100 yard rushing day of his career, right? It was, yes. Yeah, 21 touches, 21 total touches, 162 total yards. And Kurt, it was the way he got those. Kenny's becoming a very, very powerful runner. Are you noticing this? I have, yes. Like he's putting his shoulder down. He's running through tire. The Florida game was kind of the turning point for me, Curtis. I know he fumbled in that game, but he ran with authority in that game. And you're seeing it more and more each week. So he's running hard. He's always cut well. He's always had good vision. Um, he's showing really good patience. Like he's becoming a really good running back. Not, not just a guy out of the backfield, like a a legit workhorse type running back. That's what Kenny McIntosh is growing into. I think that's really, really good for our offense moving forward, considering how we've kind of embraced this identity down the stretch. All right, so you stole Kenny. Um, I knew you were going to do that. I'm going to steal the other obvious one. I feel like there were two obvious game balls. Kenny, for sure. And I'm going to go Jalen Carter on defense, Curtis. I think, again, I think I said this last week. Let's go ahead. Can we just, like, write his name in with pen for a game ball the rest of the way? Can we just do that? Because Pretty much. I mean, one-on-one, he is unstoppable. And I don't use that word lightly, Curtis. He is unstoppable one-on-one. There is not a offensive lineman in America right now that can defend Jalen Carter one on one. I don't think that person exists. Now you double him, you, whatever. Like, sure, you can do, you can, you can slow him down to a degree. But even that, you know, good luck. But one on one, I mean, dude, he's clubbing people, he's ripping people, he's throwing people around, he's spinning off people. He's got so many tools in his in his bag to work with that you cannot stop this man one on one. He is the definition of a difference maker. And Curse, honestly, with Nolan Smith out. Who are the true difference makers on this defense? Um, I mean, realistic about him right now. I think Jalen is the difference maker. We have a bunch of other really, really, really good players and guys I think will grow into difference makers. Are they difference makers right now? I don't know. But Jalen Carter is that times infinity. This dude is just a nightmare. And I mean, losing Nolan hurts and it sucks, as I talked about. But getting Jalen back, I mean, I wish he had them both. But at least we get Jalen back because this guy is just tearing up offensive lines right now. All right, who gets your second game ball? Um, second game ball, I got to go smile. I thought he had a really strong game. Good call. Yeah, good call. I thought he played really well. Uh, he's he's getting better, man. Like he's such a good athlete. He's it looks like he's feeling like more natural out there now. He's not thinking as much. I really and coming off the injury, obviously, you know, got hurt in Missouri game. I, I think we're seeing the best version of him that we've seen so far at this point. So I love love that call. I'm going to stay on the defensive line for my second one, Curtis. I'm going to go a guy that is a little bit more under the radar of the Jalen Carter. And uh, we talk about him occasionally, but I don't think it's near enough love. I'm going to go with Nas Stackhouse, man. I'm going to go Nas. Yeah, Jordan has, like, obviously, you know, Jordan Davis was a first-round draft pick. I mean, he was incredible. Nas Stackhouse is not Jordan Davis. He was never going to be Jordan Davis. He never will be Jordan Davis. But he doesn't have to be. He has been so solid for us anchoring the middle of our defense. He's been really tough to move. He plays with really, really good leverage. In fact, I think he plays with better leverage than Jordan did. That was one thing Jordan struggled with at times. He disengages well. I I, I really, really like what I'm seeing from Nas Stackhouse. I thought he played a really good game against Kentucky. It's a, a team that wants to be physical and wants to run the football. Their offensive line is not good. But, you know, our success really keeping – Chris Rodriguez from going wild in this game. Again, one of the best running backs in the SEC. I think Nas was a huge part of that in the middle of this defense. All right, Kurt, who gets your last game ball? Uh, last game ball goes with uh, Jack Pudlesny. Um, you know, came up big with three field goals. Yeah, I mean, I know they were all under 40 yards, which you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, he should have made those. Sure, guys, but again, the wind, yeah. I mean, we're talking 15, 20 miles an hour, gusts of 25 at times. And I don't care how short it is. I mean, you saw – I mean, I know that obviously it was a bad snap in that last field goal for uh, Kentucky, that, that last attempt trying to bring within a score. But, I mean, that was a, a, a shank of all shanks. So, yeah. sometimes it doesn't matter when you got conditions like that. So, I, I mean, mean, you think Jack, back to Missouri Missouri against Auburn, the guy who killed oh us with all those field goals misses the short chip shot. 
Yeah, Harrison Mevis. Yeah, I mean, maybe the best kicker in the country. He just misses like in that moment. Yeah, I mean, those are clutch kicks, and they and they count too, man. So, good call there. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with an offensive lineman. I, I was. I wanted to go maybe the whole offensive line, but I tried to pick one specific guy because I mean, look, we had a big day around the football, and you know, part of that was the way they defended us. But hey, we still had to go out there and do that against a really, really good Kentucky defense. I'm gonna give Cedric Van Pram my final game ball, Curtis. I think SVP is playing really good football right now. Maybe as well as he played his entire career. He's not perfect. He's still a little undersized. He's a center, which kind of happens at times. So sometimes he struggles to get movement consistently because he's not a huge guy. Um, Jordan Rogers there in the middle of that defense, or not Rogers, uh, Rogers there in the middle of that defense. He's a big dude. And he um, had trouble moving at times, but he's, he's doing a much better job of getting the second level. He's doing a good job calling out, you know, our protections up front and keeping this and just being the leader of that, of that offensive line. So I'm going to go SVP. Kurt, do you think SVP goes pro after this year or do you think he comes back? I would guess he'll go pro. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. I think with each passing week, there's a better and better chance he does end up declaring, but we'll see. I think we've got some time to play that out. But I do love the way he's playing right now. But all right, guys, that officially does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I know it's Thanksgiving week, and I know a lot of you will be spending a lot of quality time with your families, for better or for worse, hopefully for better. But for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for long enough, you know how we roll. Holidays or not, the content will still be flowing. As much as you love your families, I know that families can also be a lot sometimes, and I know that you need a little me time. I know you need a little Georgia football fix, and that is where we come into play, and we'll be here for you guys throughout the holiday week with a normal week of programming. The only change we're going to make is I believe Charlie and I were discussing this. We're going to move up our picks episode since there is a obviously the Egg Bowl on Thursday night. There's some games on Friday, all day on Friday, and we don't want to wait until like Thursday night for that episode to be out. So I think we're going to move that episode up a day and have that episode ready for you guys on Wednesday. So hopefully you can use those picks to, I don't know, maybe make a little money for yourself, a little holiday spending cash with my bookie. And then we'll have the official tech, clean, fashion, old hate preview for you guys to wrap up the week on Friday. But again, we're going to be here for you guys. When you need that football fix, we've got you covered all week long. But thank you for being here, guys. I know it wasn't the most inspiring win against Kentucky, but it was a win. Survive, advance, move on, clean some things up, get better, and just prepare to beat the hell out of Georgia Tech. So thank you for being here, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.